Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. I have a fascinating guest this morning for our topic, Mission Rwanda Cop-to-Cop Training. But first, before we get started, I want to give you the question, our Blast from the Past History Moment, from the files of P.I. Museum's curator, Ben Harrell. The question is, who was the private investigator who, when he was with the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, made the first telephone tap at the top of a telephone pole? I'll give the answer at the end of the show. All right, so Mission Rwanda Cop-to-Cop Training, Training in Rwanda... My guest today, private investigator Dan Goldsmith, is going to tell about his passion, training members of the National Rwandan Police Force. Rwanda is where the Hutu extremists murdered over 800,000 people in 100 days in 1994, the Tutsis, while the rest of the world stood by. Dan is a member of the Saddleback Justice Task Force, and their mission is to provide knowledge and their expertise to a country where the, most of the professionals were actually killed. So who is Dan Goldsmith? Dan is a licensed private investigator who retired as a two-time Investigator of the Year Senior Investigator for the California Department of Consumer Affairs Medical Board, where he was twice, um, well, as I already said, a two-time Investigator of the Year. Um, Dan is a volunteer leader for the Saddleback Church Justice Task Force. He went to Rwanda in October 2006 and conducted a justice assessment, and then this was followed by training, if you can believe, of the Rwanda National Police in 2008, 2009, 2010, and I understand he's probably going to go back this year. Welcome, Dan. Good morning. Thank you for being here. You have just a great story. Could you uh, just give us some background and some history uh, on Rwanda? Well, um it, it was mostly um, it was colonized by the uh, Germans prior to World War One, and um, after World War One, it was um, um, divided up when the, all of the countries were, were were divided up. And Belgium was the country that got uh, Rwanda, and it was under that colonial rule up until 1959 when they won their uh, independence. And actually, that's the first year that they had a genocide. They had a smaller one, but it was a genocide, classified as a genocide because it was one ethnic group trying to um, rid themselves of another. The Tutsis are a minority ethnic group 
um, about 30% of the population, and the Hutus are about 65%, and then there's, um, you never hear about this very much, but the five they have 5% population that are called TWA, T-W-A, and they are the pygmies uh, that you hear oh, about hmm. uh, in Africa. And um, after that genocide, many um, Tutsis had fled and then came back. And, um, and the reason for all the genocide is because even though the Tutsis were the minority, um, the Belgians had decided that the Tutsis were smarter and more... So they decided to educate, and the Tutsis became the professionals. They were the doctors, the lawyers, uh, all of the professionals within okay. that society. And so um, when they did the genocide, and especially the worst one in 1994, um, the, the first thing they went out and did was kill the people who were the most educated people within that country. And that started with the president's plane being shot down, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, the, uh, when the president's plane was shot down at the airport, it also had the uh, president of Burundi on that plane. Uh, within minutes of that being shot down, uh, they began the extermination of the Tutsis. They'd actually gone around for weeks before that event making lists of all the Tutsis in the different neighborhoods and the different villages around the country. Well, and I remember reading, I think you might have provided it to me, that on the first day 8,000 people were killed just the first day. Correct. Yeah, and it really escalated pretty quickly. Um, the third day, there was by the third day, there was thirty thousand people killed, and by day fifteen, just a little over two weeks, there was more than two hundred eighty thousand people killed. So they really escalated. And, and the unfortunate thing is that most of the people were killed by the, uh, machetes because they couldn't afford bullets. Amazing. And and wasn't it? You know, people were killing their family members, their husbands, their wives, their children. Yeah, what happened was there was a, a great intimidation that the um, Hutu extremists that were organizing the killing, they told people, "You will either you kill this person or we'll kill you. And that's how they ended up with that type of a, um, situation. We had uh, parents killing their own children. Um, some, because what was happening was over the years of uh, living together that the Tutsis and the Hutus would end up intermarrying. And, sure. and they really didn't necessarily see a, a difference with each other, even though it's tribal and everybody knows the difference because there's some physical appearances that you could tell somebody's Tutsi or Hutu. And and so it would come down, and they would order these people, you need to you know, you know, need to go next door and kill your neighbor and who mm-hmm. might be your friend, and mm-hmm. they, you would have to kill your, your husband or your wife if they were... If they were Hutu and if you had kids together, you'd have to kill all the kids. Uh, but primarily it was the neighbor or village killing each other that were friends before that. And the, and there was a, what was the army called that uh, was began training and, and were sent to exterminate the Tutsis? Um, they're called the Inner Hamway, um, and they... they they mostly were young people. Uh, unfortunately, in, in Africa, and it still exists today, there's a, uh, if, if a family feels like they can't afford um, to feed the, the older children in a home, they just kick them out on the street. And some can be as young as eight or nine years old. And so there's a lot of, uh, even today, there's a lot of children, we call them street children, who, who live on the streets and they beg for food and, or try to get some kind of work to earn maybe 50 cents or a quarter in a daytime mm-hmm. to be able to buy enough food. And so those are the vulnerable, and that's who they actually targeted. The government rounded those people up, 
took them to training camps and and provided them with the machetes, and they practiced and they sang songs about how they were going to kill um, the uh, Tutsis, uh, how that the Tutsis were responsible for all their lot in life. And they said, you know, you're poor because of the Tutsis. You, mm-hmm. if you if you kill them, you'll be rich afterwards, and all that. That's how they kind of convinced the, the um, nation that uh, to arise up. Mm. And and there was this. We were talking yesterday uh, before the show about the Catholic Church that was used as a sanctuary. Could you talk about that? Sure. In uh, the the um, Tutsis had found in 1959, and again in the second genocide in 1973, that when they went to the Catholic churches, they would they would ask for sanctuary, which is for safety, and the Catholic Church always granted that. And and so those people that went to those churches were saved from the genocide. They were very short-lived, and, and they would care for them and, and protect them during those. But in 1994, thousands and thousands and thousands of people went to uh, churches, not just Catholic, but the most majority of the country is considered Catholic, and the, and the largest churches were the Catholic churches that had compounds. And in uh, several instances, you know, 5,000 and more people would go to a Catholic church for a sanctuary, but when the inner Hamway militia came up and said they wanted to kill the people inside, the, the, um, some of the priests would step aside and allow the, them to do that. Um, in one case, there was two Belgian nuns who uh, people had come to their church for a sanctuary, and the inner Hamway said, well, we want to burn the church, and they go, well, we got gas. Mm-hmm. And and they provided the gas and and these priests and, the, and even those two nuns uh, were put into uh, prison after the conflict was over a hundred days later. And you, approximately five thousand people that were at that church were burned to death. Yes. And and I don't quite understand. At, at the time, the United Nations couldn't get involved because it wasn't declared a genocide. Is that right? Yeah, they they play word games because it, there's we have a, a video where they were saying there's acts of genocide, but we cannot determine if it is actual genocide. And when when the um, um, genocide actually began, there were enough um, UN troops uh, in the country to have stopped it uh, from occurring, but they were told they had a mandate: do not get involved, only protect yourselves. And and even at one point the the uh, Hutus had learned from the Mogadishu incident where our uh, Marines were uh, killed uh, that we left that country right away after they they did that killing. And so what they did was they when they went to kill the um, prime minister of the country, she had 15 um, Belgian uh, UN guards, and they killed all, and not one of them fired a shot. They all had weapons, automatic weapons, and they didn't fire a shot. And the next day, they were all all their bodies were found dead, and it worked because that day they they pulled out seventy five percent of the uh, UN soldiers from Rwanda. And that and was it, the Belgian soldiers. Yes, uh-huh. but 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 the uh, commander of the UN was a, a general from uh, Canada, and he uh, had asked for permission to stop or to or to protect, and and they would not allow him to do so. And they had so many people come in. Uh, they had different militaries from France and other places. They came in to uh, basically remove the white people from the country. And they, the General Leclerc said, well, 
the amount of people they brought in to remove and save the white people uh, would have been enough people to have stopped the genocide, but they uh, did not allow them to uh, to make any steps to defend uh, anyone except themselves. You know, I, I think the the end estimate is about almost a million people, 800,000, uh, were actually murdered. It's, it, it's even hard to imagine um, that would be equal to a whole city, a, a fairly good-sized city of people being just eliminated. It's just hard to imagine. It is, and, and many of them were left in the streets because they, they, they used the bodies as roadblocks to stop other people. In uh, in some places in the more rural areas, they would kill people and then bury them in shallow graves because they didn't want people to know um, where the people were. And that's why there's a you see estimates of more than eight hundred thousand, but it could be up as high as a million because some people have never been found. Mm-hmm. And so so that went on for a hundred days, and then how did it stop? Well, there was a, 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 a they called it a rebel army at the time. It was called the uh, Rwanda Patriotic. Front RPF, and their general was a uh, uh, Paul Kagame, who's now the current president of Rwanda. They came in from the Congo and they fought their way to the capital. And once they made it to the capital, um, they were able to uh, stop the genocide as they went along. But the the capital was the main area, and 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 that's how they they stopped it themselves. It was not the uh, the UN that did that. Mm-hmm. And then then they had the task. I, so they they rounded up people and put them in put them in jail and then what happened? Well, they put over two hundred and fifty thousand uh, perpetrators into the prison system, which they didn't have that much space. And um, and then then they found themselves well, if if we uh, try to put each one of these persons on trial and have an actual trial, it would take them more than a hundred years uh, to do that. And they also didn't have the Judiciary or the prosecutors, and what they ended up doing was they appointed well-known um, people in the in the community as prosecutors who had no training in law, mm-hmm. and 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 they actually became the prosecutors of that. But they said they since they, they didn't they couldn't it was such a burden on the court system. They ended up going back to an old traditional system before colonial rule, which is called the Gachacha court, and and that court is in the village, and the gachacha is a type of grass, and what they would do to settle disputes, like, you stole my goat, and they would have a meeting. The whole village is required to come out and sit under a tree mm-hmm. on the grass, and they elected um, an odd number of people, either seven or nine people, who would act as judges, and they would hear the case by both sides, and then they would rule on uh, what the decision was. Well, they country decided that the gachacha would actually hear, unless they were a planner of genocide, um, they they could hear the cases, and the they would the village would have to be in attendance, and then they would have a hearing, and it lasted only one day. Um, we were able to be present for one of those in 2006, and the guy was accused of killing 20 people, but he only admitted, and they, the country came out with a new edict that if you um, if you don't um, admit what you did, then you have to serve 25 years in prison. If you confess to what you did, um, then you only have to serve 12 years in prison. Okay, this is a good place to take a break, Dan. That was uh, Private Investigator Dan Goldsmith. Stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Dan Goldsmith, a California private investigator, has been talking about his experiences in Rwanda. Tell us more, Dan, about this uh, gachacha process, this gachacha judicial process in Rwanda. Well, it's it, it's a, a type of court. I think we would uh, more um, similar to a grand jury because there are, it is people that are appointed from the uh, village, and they're and they're the, usually the elders or people with high esteem, and 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 then they will uh, hold hold the court and. 
The one I attended in 2006 it was held in a schoolhouse. It, we had over 150 people in there, which was it was not big enough for that many people. Mm-hmm. But they everybody just graciously uh, crowded in because you're required to be there. Each village person is required to be there. Every single person. Yes, okay. and and children were there. Everybody's there. Uh huh. And and the way the process worked was we we actually saw a genocide perpetrator who was on trial. He was accused of killing 20 people, and he admitted to killing three. And so people would, and the people that would testify, the the witnesses and the the family members of the victims would actually have to go up and stand next to him, and and swear their testimony standing next to him. And one lady who he killed her three children uh, was just so scared she was shaking, and trembling as she testified against him. That and um, he was not convicted of killing those uh, three children because she had run away. And when the judges asked, "Did you actually see him?" and she said, "No," she said, "I." When I ran away, he was standing over them with a hammer, and I ran to the woods, and and she didn't turn around and look and see him kill them, even though it, it's most likely that he did kill them. Uh-huh. And then what happened after that? What, what did he, didn't he say um, that he only carried the hammer, he didn't kill them? Yeah, well, he he started out, the, what, the cool thing about the gachacha thing, A, there was no attorneys present, and B... Um, he doesn't even have a right to an attorney. He he defends himself. Um, the the cool thing is though, if if people in the audience um, hear something that that's uh, that, that they need to correct, they can actually raise their hand, and the judges will allow them to stand up and testify to what what they said. And this guy says, "Well, I didn't work that roadblock, uh, uh, or I only worked the ro- roadblock for three days." And one person in the audience stood up and said, "No, I saw you there." The whole time through the whole uh, hundred, the whole three months, and mm-hmm. so he goes, "Okay, yeah, yeah, I did. I'm sorry, I did. I was there for the, the whole three months." And he says, "But I didn't use the hammer the whole time. I didn't have the hammer." And then somebody else stood up and says, "Yeah, you did. I saw you with the hammer the whole time." Uh, and and how are the judges determined? The the uh, uh, village itself elects them. They they go, "Okay, we we want you. We want you. We want you." Okay. And then, and you said this this process for a case usually lasts is over in a day. Yeah, one whole, we were we were through with it. We started about nine in the morning, and by three thirty, um, we had a judgment. It's amazing. And, and you were saying, and uh, the information you gave me that um, there was some incidents of forgiveness that were just incredible that probably we can't we in America can't understand could you talk about a couple of those yeah it was really kind of interesting because the the, the gachacha process is, is actually an ex- excellent process because the guy that we we uh, saw he was found guilty of killing three people he had already served his 12 years he had actually been released uh, from prison and they go back to the same village so everybody's living with the same people that that it's not like America where you would go to another community. They actually live in the same village mm-hmm. where they committed the atrocities, and so they have to learn to um, live together again. And um, that guy got he he was given eight, 18 months of uh, community service, which means they, he has to either build houses or help build roads or something within the community that he did the crime in. And, that, and that's kind of a... A good thing because that's that's where he's working his way back into the community by doing that uh, uh, service to the community. Mm-hmm. And I've I've seen there was a couple of examples where 
um, sometimes when they're on trial, though, the people will say, we just want to know where our family's buried at so we can uh, dig them up and give them a proper burial because they don't believe that they get to heaven until they receive a proper burial. I and see. this one guy gave them the information. He didn't want to, but he did, and he gave them the information where their uh, family members were buried. They dug them up and gave them a funeral. And so when they saw that guy uh, working on the road, and he was in a very hot day, and and so they stopped and brought him a bottle of water, and and were trying to help him out. Uh, another instance: of a man who, when he was a teenager, had killed a, a woman's son. And when the process of gachacha was over, the woman said that she didn't, at the trial she said, "I don't have anybody to carry water. I don't have anybody to earn a, you know, help me earn a living." And this man actually moved in with this woman's house, not as a husband and wife, but as a son. Mm-hmm. And and he would work, and he would pay for food, and he carried water. He did all the things that her son would have done as, mm-hmm. as a uh, retribution to to that a repayment. And wasn't there one family that bought a bicycle for the man that murdered their, the rest of their family? Yeah, and they they have a bicycle taxi, so you, a guy will ride his bike up to the top of a hill without somebody, and then and then he'll ride down the hill for a quarter or fifty cents. It, and um, the one man, um, he knew where a whole bunch of people were buried in the the community. Said, "Where is this? Where are these graves?" And when he told them, and then they were able to bury their their dead, they they got together, pooled their money, and bought him a, a bicycle taxi. So he had an income now. Just amazing, and and it's this backdrop that um, the Saddleback Justice Task Force looked looked at and decided you need to take action. So yeah, well, you know, that. it's a really funny story how we, our church got involved because our pastor, Rick Warren, had written a book called The Purpose Driven Life, and it's the best-selling nonfiction book in history except for the Bible. And and the the president of Rwanda had actually read the book, and he contacted our pastor, and he said, I, I would like you to your church to make um, our, my country the first purpose-driven country, which we never thought about before. But that was a pretty pretty cool invitation, and he he actually opened the doors to all levels of government for us um, to the uh, Rwandan churches, and and so we started sending people over there. And as some, from uh, two thousand and five till now, we've sent over five thousand church members just to Rwanda. That's under cool. our peace plan, and 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 because of that access, when we went and did our assessment trip, we met the minister of justice, the national prosecutors, the national, the head of the national uh, police force, um, all all kinds of uh, government officials. The mayor of of Kigali, the capital of Kigali, has two million people, so it's a pretty large area, uh, urban area. Um, and and so we were, and we met with the Supreme Court justices. I mean, we we really did a broad, broad spectrum analysis of their justice system in 2006. And how long were you there the first time? Um, each time we go, it's for two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. And your wife is a domestic violence expert and marriage and family therapist. Yes. And her name is Janine. Yeah. Uh, Murray. Yes, Janine oh, Murray. Okay. And so, did she go on that assessment trip as well? She did. And how many other people went with you that time? I think we had um, 11. Uh, we actually took our daughter, Ashley, who was 20 at the time, with us on that first assessment trip. Uh-huh. But there was 11 people total. Okay. And uh, then 
you decide then you came you must have come back and regrouped and tried to figure out how you were going to address this issue of training that you were asked to do well what we what we wanted to do is we didn't want to insult the, com- the country even though we could see um, deficiencies we didn't want to They've already had enough white people coming in there and telling them what they're doing wrong and how to do it right, and we didn't want to do that. So we, we wanted to take a different approach. And in our assessment, we just said, well, what do you need? What do you see that your future needs for as far as with the speaking specifically of the law enforcement in the in the way of training? And so we came up with a list of priorities from the their chief of the national police. And um, and then so what we started doing, our first um, training trip, we coordinated with um, a training coordinator with their police. And and, and we said, well, which um, we offered, cause because based on who could go, uh, we, we decided that it, we would take uh, elements off of that training needs list, and that's what we did. You know, we did, my, my first class was uh, interview and interrogation, and, um, and then and the um, two other uh, police officers went. They were both traffic guys, so they did uh, traffic and road safety and DUI. Mm-hmm. And then t- together, the three of us taught a uh, crowd control. We didn't plan on that one, and they asked us to do that once we were there on the last day. And Dr. Murray was with you too to do uh, domestic violence training. Yeah, she. They have uh, actual. Uh, they, it's, it's weird how they do this, but they have a police hospital. And they have police officers who are assigned there, and and they also in the last um, four years they've started a, a they call it gender violence, which instead of domestic violence, but they, mm-hmm. they have a gender violence desk in each police station. I guess we and, should limit and those, it to women. And those huh? officers are who she trained as as first responders to domestic violence um, calls. Yeah. Okay, and so. Um... So when, before you went over there, how did how did you decide what you were going to train? Now, what, why did you pick interview and interrogation initially? It was on their list, and it was it, just on their special, list. Yeah, and it was a specialty of mine. Okay. So, how big was your first class? Well, I actually asked for it to be smaller, so because they, if I would ask for more, they they would have provided more. Um, my my class was twenty five people. Okay. We need to take a break. Um, Dan Goldsmith has been telling us about leading a team to train Rwandan police, not just once, but three times. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. 
NCISS, and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call one 800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator Dan Goldsmith has been telling us about training police force, a police force in Rwanda. Dan, tell us more about this. So you were training, interview, and interrogation. Yes. And and uh, the other guys were doing the traffic and road safety, DUI, and then together the three of us taught. A, um, and my wife was teaching the domestic violence, or they call it gender violence, uh, to uh, to their people, and they're supposed to all speak English. They they tell them they told us before we got there that all the students uh, were picked because they speak English. And they, when we get into the classroom, only about half of them spoke English, and the other half were like, "Eh, I don't really understand." So we had to use an interpreter as one of the students to be able to um, complete the training. And probably even the ones that spoke English didn't speak fluent English, right? Um, not, not the best. They had heavy accents and, and they, um, sometimes we'd have problems with words or phrases that wouldn't translate properly. And even sometimes it was funny because sometimes they would discuss amongst themselves about what they thought I was trying to say. And then they'd come to an agreement and go, okay, go ahead. (laughs) Okay. So, and that must've been really hard to train through an interpreter because doesn't that take a long time to do? Yeah, it basically doubled the, um, class time. So if I had an eight-hour block of instruction, it now took 16 hours because they um, of that lag of um, having whatever I just said um, interpreted into their language. And then if there's a question, it did the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. And and there's you know if you get on a roll when you're teaching you know what you want to say and you have your notes but there's a lot of things that are not in your notes that you think about as you're talking and you can't just do that and keep talking with you have to stop every second every second or third sentence and allow the interpreter to um, state what you just said. Can't imagine how difficult that was and so <clears throat> so when you're teaching um, interview and interrogation you're you're teaching not only um, interrogation of suspects, but you're talking to them about how to interview a victim, how to interview a child, how to interview a witness, right? Yes, because they have a real high incidence of uh, uh, incest and, and child rape in that country, and, and um, there's, some of them are because of the um, adage that if, if the person has AIDS, if they have sex with a virgin, that'll cure AIDS, and, and of course it doesn't, and so it just makes the other person get the AIDS. And um, and so there, and there's a lot of children you'll see you know 10 to 13 years old that all have babies, and and most of them are are from family members, but they and they they don't have DNA. The police think DNA is the answer to everything, but I I actually ended up through my class was talking about pretext calls because it's really odd that that people live in a dirt house but they'll have a cell phone. Really. And yeah, it's really interesting. And I said. I, t- I took a recorder and tapes with me and batteries so that they could operate those. And I said, you can put the call, put it on, the phone on speaker, and have the girl uh, call her father and confront him about what he did to her, and then record that information. And I, and and they never even thought about that. That must have been amazing. A wonderful idea. Yeah. Incredible. Well, uh, you told me a, a story about. Uh, your wife and teaching the domestic violence cases with the women and an interpreter. Would you would you tell our listeners about that? I'm not sure which which story. I know we were talking about <laughs> yeah. that. This was uh, she had a class of about 40 prostitutes. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, that she she was teaching. Well, this was at, actually at a church that ministered to the prostitutes and the street children. And and the pastor wanted my wife to talk to them because she was an expert in the in, in the uh, domestic violence. And many of the women um, who who were in for, into prostitution were um, victims of domestic violence and and rape. And so um, she had a group of about forty of them at a church, and they're sitting in a circle, and she's talking to them. And she has a, but she has a male interpreter. And she's asking questions of the women, and she's saying really good things, but the women just aren't talking. And and um, afterwards, and the, and even afterwards, she found out because the uh, woman, it was a woman pastor. She'd come up to my wife afterwards and said, "You know, your interpreter was changing your words and wasn't completely interpreting what you were saying, and the women were um, scared to talk in front of him." And so every. Every trip after that one, um, she's always had a woman interpreter for her uh, women um, groups that she has because she does she doesn't want there to be any problems. And she when she did that the next time, uh, even during that trip, she switched over to a f- female interpreter. It made all the difference in the world. And there's probably some resistance to the men, the women talking in front of a male anyway. Correct? That's correct. Yeah, they're 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 places to be quiet. It, in in that society, it, it's it's odd that the a husband actually basically buys his wife. He'll 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 negotiate with her father uh, for how many cows it will take to buy her, mm-hmm. 
and and you know you can call it a dowry or but it look the way the negotiations go it looks like it's it's more of a purchase because some of them say well I want four cows three goats and six chickens and and they negotiate on that and and then and then once that's paid then um, they can get married and so, even even in the the civil uh, modern society of Rwanda today um, they still have to give the 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 gift of the cows uh, to the in-laws. That's basically their, my wife calls it. That's their retirement, uh, their social security. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, so then the wife becomes chattel. That that's actually true, and 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 so that's why they and they abuse the wives. Their domestic violence is huge, hugely um, popular there. And my wife was talking to a group of pastors, and the one pastor said, "Well, I don't I don't beat my wife more than the next man." <laughs> Okay. Going, oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, um, I just want to mention um, uh, some of the officers and others that went with you. I guess this was on the first time. Uh, Downey Police Officer Kevin McCaster and Tustin Police Sergeant Mark Hine. Yes. And then there was a couple of attorneys on that um, trip, along with your wife. Yes. Okay. Um, so I'll, are they still doing this process too, this this project? Um, the attorneys have, have come and gone. There's been um, a couple of attorneys that have gone uh, twice. Um, the um, Kevin and, and Mark are actually going again this May with me. Uh, they've Mar- um, I think Mark was retiring from Tustin PD either uh, next month or in March, and so he wanted to wait till he retired before he went back, and, and he and Kevin are best friends. So they wanted to travel together again and, and room together uh, on the trip. So they're they're going back this year, and mm-hmm. I have a, a, a couple of firefighters that are going also. And you were able all able to take part, I guess, in their um, graduation ceremonies of the yeah, class. They, they ha- yeah, they have their um, their their police force is made up in two um, basic two different. Uh, similar to a military, it, it was they actually made the first police officers when they started the police force. I think in '04, um, they pulled all of their um, police officers from the army, so they were all army army uh, soldiers, and so they have an officer corps and they have a, an enlisted corps that they call. Um, and, and we went to the officer graduation. These guys they would become essentially lieutenants. Okay. Uh, when they graduated from that academy. And and how did they did they give them something, or did you guys give them something uh, as a token of their completion? Not a, that one was with our training. We we have a they, they formalize all their training, and we had an opening ceremony where we had a pastor and the one of the highest up, uh, I think it was the number two police official in Rwanda declared because they declared the training open, and at the end of our training. We have a closing ceremony, and that, at that time, we give them uh, certificates for the training that they completed. And, we, and um, the union that I belonged to before I retired, they had provided us with uh, mini badges, and so we gave those to them also. And they actually wore them on their uniforms, and I've even seen them when we, since we've gone back. They must have loved that. They did, because they don't have a, their badges, what's on their hat. And they actually, in, in uh, response to what we gave them, they gave us actually one of their badges, which is the patch that's on their uh, beret. You know, you've done just such an an amazing. Uh, it's a, just a, it's such an amazing project. 
I just I applaud you and the people that have uh, gone with you. I think you said five thousand have gone in the last few years. Yeah, since two thousand and five. Yeah, that's that's just great. And you're thinking about going again this year. Yes. Yeah, and we've already got a trip planned for 2012 also because I have people that have signed up for that. And and the only way you can go is by contributions from people, right? Yeah, we've, we've tried to – the idea is not to completely self-fund it. This is a church um, uh, group, and, and and we're supposed to do this by faith, and, and when other people get involved, we, we actually include them in our prayer list or our blog. So we write that every day while we're there. We upload pictures. I mean, we really try to keep in touch and, and let you know where your money goes and, and and how it's being spent. We don't live, we don't stay in the best hotels. We don't stay, we don't eat, you know, we eat good food and we stay places that are clean, but we don't, uh, it's it's not it's not vacation. It's pretty bare bones. Yeah. 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 We don't have air conditioning. There's no, uh, you can't, you always have to have a bottle of water to drink, uh, to brush your teeth with. Um, we have to have malaria pills, and we have to, you know, you have. To, there's a lot of things that we have to think about in, in going into this community. And what's the flight time from California to Rwanda? Well, that really depends. The first time we went, it took 47 hours to get there because we had a, a huge layover in London, and then another one in Nairobi, a seven-hour layover in Nairobi, and and coming back, it was 50 hours. Um, I, I thought that was too long. And so I found a way that we can get there going through Brussels in uh, 26 hours from when we leave LAX to when we land in Rwanda. Only 26 hours, huh? Yeah. Uh, you know, you, that's such a, such a huge commitment. So if you're going there for two weeks, you really have to plan on three weeks, don't you? Well, no, we do it in 15 days. You I do? I, yeah. Yeah, we, we try to uh, – because we want to teach during the week, um, we we – Leave on a Friday, arrive Saturday night. Uh, we go to church Sunday morning, and then plan Sunday as preparation. And then Monday we hit the ground running. And the other thing I read uh, is that uh, one of the big issues there too is land grabbing. And when the husband is di- dies or killed, then somebody grabs the land instead of the family or his wife getting it. Well, again, it goes back to the wife being uh, bought, and the and the she doesn't have title to anything because she can't own anything. Mm-hmm. And and so when she, if the and the, remember that the average lifespan is only 41 years right now in Rwanda. Uh, the biggest killer is AIDS, obviously. And then and then um, if a husband dies, the, his family will come. They'll hold a funeral, and as soon as that's over, they tell the pastor, "Okay, go home." And then they sit there and start dividing up his property. The one person will take the table, and the other person will take this and that, and somebody else will say, well, I'm staying on the land. And they tell the wife, you know, you leave, she doesn't get to gather her clothes, and she has to take the kids with her. They're not going to care for those kids either, and so they end up being homeless. So now you folks are teaching people, having classes on how to make a will and and helping them so they can actually take the land if the, the man leaves the family. Right, so they can either repossess the land and even now they're doing a land registration, and if we can get the husband to include the wife on the registration, then she has uh, legal rights. Okay. Well, when we come back, we're going to take another break. Uh, when we come back, I'll provide the answer to our Blast in the Past history question. Don't go away. News. 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 News.
voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. It's time for the answer to our blast from the past history moment. And then I'll come back to Dan. So the question is, who was the private investigator when he was with the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, was made the first telephone tap at the top of a telephone pole? The name is Sergio Sarge Borges. He was a legend. He's a California private investigator. His license number was A4875. He served with the 82nd Airborne in Korea. And he actually died in 2004. Uh, he graduated from San Francisco State University and was the DEA agent in charge of electronic surveillance for the entire southwest of the USA. That's seven states in northern Mexico. San Diego's PI Museum collection includes equipment used by, by Sarge, as they called him, to make the first telephone tap at the top of the telephone pole. If you're interested in supporting PI Museum, an amazing array of artifacts, from detectives, spies, and private eyes, go to www.pimuseum.org and sign up to be a member. 
So, uh, Dan, back to your story about Rwanda. Um, as we were talking on the break, I found a on your Saddleback Church Justice Task Force Facebook page, um, there's a quote from the Old Testament, Isaiah 117, that says, Learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And that sounds to me exactly what you folks have been doing. That's that's correct. That's that's our our marching orders, basically. The how we're supposed to um, we we believe that that's what we're supposed to do, either here at home or abroad. And that biblical quote was was found by your daughter Ashley. Yes, yeah. She she we were looking for uh, something uh, a, a basic verse in the Bible that would be a um, a mandate or or say what we were what our our core values were and and she found that and, and said look what i found and we, we said hey and so we took it to the next meeting and they go that's it <laughs> that it's amazing because it it right down to the letter it looks like you're accomplishing your mission and what a great mission it is well thank you yeah it's it's i don't know how it would ever end that's our biggest struggle i think is knowing when not to go back we've committed to go every year as as the lord wills and and um, you know, in this economy, it's pretty tough, but we still are committed to go. Well, I really appreciate you bringing your story to PIs to Classify today. It makes me really proud that you're in the ranks of private investigators, and your commitment, I think, inspires the rest of us. So thank you for your amazing and incredible example. If you want to know more about Dan Goldsmith, the Saddleback Justice Task Force, or how to contact either one, Go to PICclassified.com under today's show, Mission Rwanda, Cop to Cop Training. Dan, would, do you have anything you would like to add um, or, or tell our listeners that we haven't talked about? Well, the main thing is that anybody can do this. We're, we're not, uh, I don't know, we're not special people. Our pastor likes to say that, that God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things and and. Um, you know, most people say, well, I can't do that, or I could never go to Africa, or I could never do this or that, and it, it's not that difficult. And I think um, by by repetition, it's it's actually becoming easier to do and to go and, and to serve. And, it, 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 you know, we shouldn't shortcut ourselves that that we can't do something when maybe we can. And... You, I, I mean, I think what you're saying is really valid. We we think that one person can't make a difference, and we each can if we want to. Absolutely, it's just a contribution, and and I I always tell people everywhere I go, the, you know, I go there to bless them, to be to I, I we don't charge them for this training. We we provide all of the materials necessary, and we leave a copy of our of our lesson plan. We we don't try to we don't want to keep going back and redoing the same things. Mm-hmm. We want them to teach themselves. And you know, I always I always say we go to bless them, and I end up being uh, blessed much more by them because we it, it's all about relationships. And I actually have friends that are on Facebook from the Rwanda police, and and we we talk. I can use Skype to call them and and talk to them. And I've I've had quite a few of them email me and tell me what they're doing or how they're doing and that kind of stuff. So it's it's really about relationships. It's not just going there and be anonymous and do this training and leave. That's great. You I have many involved. friends. I have many friends there now. I'm sure. 
I'm sure you do. Well, you gave me a website that are, is actually posted under your bio called the Peace Plan. And yep. uh, if our listeners are involved, are interested in looking into this further, if you Google the Peace Plan, I'm sure that you can get the right site. It's called thepeaceplan.com. Thepeaceplan.com. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, I have it up here on my screen, and it, there's all kinds of resources and ways to get involved. And um, in fact, there is even a tab called Get Involved. So uh, if you're interested in that, please go there because it looks like a, a great project. So again, um, Dan, this has been great. I appreciate so much that you being here. Um, listeners, if you are interested in advertising on this show or have an interesting topic, please send me an email to francie at picdclassified.com. Next week's show will feature the investigation surrounding the colonel, Dr. Margaret Kammermeyer, the author of Serving in Silence, a book that became a movie by the same name with actress Glenn Close. Tune in as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Dan Goldsmith. It's P.I.'s Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.